Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. For Sabrina Haynes, one of her earliest memories is driving in her dad's red Camaro as they left California and headed to Colorado. She was just two years old. Up until then, Sabrina lived with her mom and dad in San Jose. But now it was just her and her dad. The memory is fuzzy, but she recalls sleeping in the back seat, occasionally waking up and looking out the window at the mountains and stars. But I think what stands out the most is he told me that my mom died and she didn't love me. And I'm sitting there like, what? I don't understand. That was a lie, but Sabrina believed him. It was the beginning of a childhood of pain, neglect, and abuse. Today, a special edition of the California Report magazine. I'm Laura Clivens, in for Sasha Coca, and we're talking about childhood trauma, the science behind it, and solutions to help people like Sabrina move on from that pain and build a better life. First, a warning that this story contains some strong themes, probably not suitable for kids. Sabrina is 33 years old. She's short with muscular arms and legs. Her straight blonde hair falls beyond her shoulders, and the ends are tipped with a rebellious purple and blue. She lives in Northern California near Chico, in a town called, of all things, Paradise. But before she landed in Paradise, she moved around a lot. Like going to Colorado with her dad. That was the first move. And it was only temporary. In just a few months, they were back in San Jose. Sabrina has another big memory at four, when a woman she didn't recognize came over to visit. And then she came in and he was like, this is your babysitter. The woman acted all excited to see Sabrina and kept fussing over her. She was like really super friendly. I'm like, what is going on? And like constantly call me baby girl. Finally, he tells me, that's your mom. Sabrina's mom was alive after all. Turns out she'd been living in San Jose that whole time, battling to get Sabrina back. Much later, Sabrina asked her dad why he'd lied. And he was like, I was just angry at that time. It was very confusing as a young child to hear one thing, a person that you trust as your parent, and then come to find out they've been lying to you this whole time. But Sabrina barely had time to process everything. Within a few months, there was another big change. So shortly after, my mom got custody of me. Sabrina was only four. It was confusing why she was going between her two parents, why her dad had lied, and who to believe. At first, Sabrina was nervous about living with her mom. She barely knew her. Then she started kindergarten and made lots of friends. 
But Sabrina noticed that her mom was different from other parents. Her mom wore pajamas all day long. So I would find her in the kitchen sometimes. I would find her on the living room floor. I found her on her bedroom floor. I've found her passed out in the bathtub before. Beneath her mom's brown permed hair, her face drooped. She was high, addicted to muscle relaxers she took for a bad back. There was even times where I would come home and she would be like kind of convulsing because she took too much. It was confusing because I couldn't wake her up. So I was scared a lot of the times and I was worried like if I'm gonna lose my mom. In a way, she already had. Her mom was there physically, but not emotionally. I would come home from school and say, mom, look at what I did today. She would yell at me, you know, get out of my face. You need to go away. Um, well, am I not loved? Sometimes Sabrina reached out to her dad, but he wasn't there for her either. He'd say he'd call or visit, and then he'd flake. In the meantime, Sabrina's mom remarried. Her new stepdad wasn't helpful, though. During the day when Sabrina would find her mom passed out, he was at work. And when he was at home, he and Sabrina's mom were getting into another drug, meth. Now both adults in the house were high. Of course, I didn't know it at the time. You could just see certain behaviors that were off. Like they were always yelling at each other and her. They'd often leave Sabrina with neighbors, parents of friends, or other people she didn't really know. No one was around to protect her, and people took advantage of that. That also left me open to be raped at five. You know, my parents just left me with whoever, and um, the person that was watching over me ended up raping me. It happened during a sleepover at a friend's house. She says the teenage brother got her alone. You think it's your fault. You know, what did I do wrong? Afterwards, she was too scared to tell her mom. Like she was going to blame me. And then the next morning, I showed up with their older sister's underwear. Because Sabrina never found her own. That seemed to jolt Sabrina's mom into paying attention, at least for a while. I think this was the one moment where my mom was like, what is going on? What is happening? And my mom did. She took care of it. Her mom called the neighbors and told Sabrina to stay away from the house. But her mom didn't call the police because she didn't want to lose custody again. Because that was always going on in the background. Her parents fighting over Sabrina. Sabrina sitting in court, hearing the horrible things they said about each other. When she was 10, her dad won her back again. But it wasn't because he wanted me, really. It was because he wanted to make her mad. And so Sabrina had to leave her school and pack her bags again. She moved north to Reading to live with her dad, his new wife, and her step-siblings. But life didn't get any better. She says the family bullied her. I was constantly put down. Like, you're just like your mom. There's that self-esteem lower and lower and lower. Um, I just felt like I, nobody wanted me around. So why don't I just take care of that? She'd seen suicide depicted on TV, people taking pills. When she was 12, she gathered up all the medicine she could find. So I hid in my closet and I took all the pills. I remember thinking, I'm going to help everybody. I thought they would be happy. Her family found her and took her to the hospital. So my dad and stepmom, of course, just like yelled at me again. What were you thinking? Like, why would you be so stupid? And it's like, don't you see that I'm hurting here? Don't you see? So they'd be like, no, you're not hurting. You're just seeking attention. And it's like, well, maybe in a sense, yeah. 
I want you to see me, like really see me for who I am and notice me. Before she was 18, Sabrina says she attempted suicide about 20 times. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and sometimes landed in the psych ward. By the time Sabrina graduated from high school, she'd endured a lot of pain. Scientists started quantifying this kind of pain about 20 years ago, and they discovered the more you suffer trauma as a kid, the worse your health will be later in life. Nadine Burke Harris is a pediatrician who works in San Francisco with low-income kids. She's made it her mission to talk about the long-term impacts of childhood trauma. It started with her young patients coming into her office with high rates of health problems like asthma, ADHD, and stunted growth. She began to see a link between the illnesses these kids had and problems going on at home, like a mom who drinks or a dad who hits. Dr. Burke Harris explains the science behind that in her popular TED Talk. Here, she likens the connection between childhood trauma and bad health to seeing a bear in the forest. Immediately, your hypothalamus sends a signal to your pituitary, which sends a signal to your adrenal gland that says, release stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol. And so your heart starts to pound. Your pupils dilate, your airways open up, and you are ready to either fight that bear or run from the bear. And that is wonderful if you're in a forest and there's a bear. (laughs) But the problem is what happens when the bear comes home every night. Dr. Burke Harris says when this hormonal cascade repeats over and over, it can hurt the body. It can lead to long-term changes in kids' developing brains, their immune systems, and even work its way into their DNA. Some of the best evidence for how that damage affects real people's lives came from thousands of Kaiser Permanente patients in San Diego. In that study, they asked 17,500 adults about their histories of 10 categories of what they called adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, which were stressful or traumatic experiences in childhood. So these included physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. Neglect, domestic violence. Or growing up in a household where a parent was mentally ill, substance dependent. Incarcerated or divorced. Just look back at Sabrina's life. There were a lot of these things, a divorce and neglect, and sexual abuse. Researchers created a scale for these adverse childhood experiences, from 0 to 10. For each negative experience someone had, they'd get one point. Four or more points is considered a lot. The total number is called your ACE score, A-C-E, for adverse childhood experience. Out of that 10, Sabrina Haynes' ACE score is 8. But what that study also did was take ACE scores and use them to look at people's entire life trajectory. And what this study found was really groundbreaking. First, that these childhood traumas are incredibly common among all kinds of people. The people in that San Diego study were mostly college-educated, middle-class, white, and had great health care. And two-thirds of them still reported at least one adverse childhood experience. The second takeaway is that the more of these experiences someone has, 
the sicker they are, not just mentally, but physically. It doesn't matter what race you are, how much money you make, or where you live. Your body carries that trauma later in life. Four or more ACEs means double the risk for cancer, two and a half times the risk for stroke, nearly four times the risk for chronic lung disease. And that's not just because people with difficult childhoods may do riskier things when they're older. That's part of it. But even for people who eat healthy, exercise, avoid drugs, their bodies are still more vulnerable than people who didn't grow up with trauma. This study has been done again and again with similar results. You're listening to a special edition of the California Report magazine. I'm Laura Clivens, and we're talking about how childhood trauma can lead to health problems that last a lifetime. Sabrina, whose ACE score is 8, has had a lot of medical issues. Not just bipolar disorder, but migraines. She's only 33, but she's had eight surgeries, including gallbladder removal and a hysterectomy. She has acid reflux, food allergies, and degenerative disc disease. When Sabrina first learned her score on this adverse childhood experience scale, her crazy health history made a little more sense. But she also didn't know what to do with this information. It was scary, you know, because your risk might go up to have like diabetes or, you know, heart disease. And you sit there and you're like, gosh, I have eight. Like, what does that mean for me? On average, people with an ACE score of six or more die 20 years sooner. For people who work on childhood trauma, knowing about ACEs means seeing bad behavior through a more empathetic lens. Instead of asking what's wrong with a person, you ask what happened to them. And it helps to understand some of Sabrina's behavior when she finally started making her own decisions. By 17, she was skipping school, fighting with her mom, and had an abusive boyfriend. She wanted something different, so she moved out of San Jose, this time to Willows, a small town near Sacramento. But she found herself following in her mother's footsteps. And then I started my cycle. Basically from 18 to 23, I was addicted to meth, and it's a scary, it's a scary life. Meth made her feel invincible, and the drugs kept her skinny, but soon enough. I felt like I needed it. It was like an everyday thing. She and her new boyfriend started selling meth. Eventually, they got arrested and went to jail, where she was forced to sober up. With a clear mind, she looked back at who she'd been for the last five years. She once thought of her meth self as amazing, but now she hated that person. When I got sentenced to jail, I said, I'm going to be straight and narrow. I ain't doing nothing. She knew if she didn't stop, she could end up in state prison or even dead. I just knew that I wanted something better. I wanted to change. So Sabrina picked up again. She left Willows and moved to the Sierra Nevada foothills, to that town called Paradise, near the top of a breathtaking canyon among pine trees and oaks. I have not touched drugs since, so it's been over 10 years. And she started looking for support from an unlikely source, her mom. 
She'd kicked meth years before, and now they were on the same page. But all too soon, they had another problem to deal with. My mom got diagnosed with cancer. It was serious because the colorectal cancer had already begun to spread. They started talking on the phone every few days, for hours at a time. She told me she wanted two things from me. She wanted me to go back to school and try to make a life for myself and to give her a grandbaby if it was possible. I said, okay, well, I can definitely work on the school. Sabrina was 27, and all she had was her high school diploma. She started taking classes at the local community college. I was like, oh, I really do like school. Because, I mean, when you're in high school, you're made to do it. You don't want to do it. I got to choose my classes, so that was definitely a plus. And then the following semester, the spring semester of 2013. Mom, what? Found out I was pregnant. Would you like to sit on my lap while I talk? Would that help? Yeah. That's Sabrina's daughter, Aurora. She looks just like Sabrina did when she was young. A skinny kid with blonde hair and blue eyes. Aurora wasn't planned. Her father was one of Sabrina's friends, and he wasn't ready to be a dad. But Sabrina decided to keep the baby. I personally was happy because I wanted to be a mom. And it was scary because I'm like, I have this one little one-bedroom place. Like, how is this going to be for my kid? She'd have to learn how to parent differently than her mom and dad did because the impact of ACEs can be passed from one generation to the next. Do I want her to have an ACE score of 10? No, of course not. I don't want her to have to go through those adverse experiences. I want her to have a fulfilled life and to be happy. Sabrina had a tough pregnancy. Her blood pressure kept spiking, and her mom still lived far away. So her doctor told her about a nonprofit called Youth for Change. They could give her more support, including parenting classes. They said, you know, they have a really awesome program there. I think they might be able to help you. So I was reluctant at first because, you know, I'm very independent, and I'm like, I can do this on my own. Why should I go ask for help, right? Like, but I did it. It turned out to be a great decision. One woman who works there is now her mentor, and another is like a mother figure. They're like family now, you know? They've been such a huge support, and I think it's things like that that really help somebody to survive and have that resiliency. Week after week, she'd go back to Youth for Change to get ready for the baby. The staff helped Sabrina write out goals and follow them. She learned about ACEs and started grappling with what that meant for her. For so long, I kind of played that victim role. Poor me, poor me, poor me. All those things are going bad. And when I was doing things for myself, finally, I was kind of like, why play the victim? There's so much out in this world that there's left to discover, and maybe I can make an impact. First off, the new baby needed a hopeful name. She chose Aurora. It means dawn. And her mom suggested a unique spelling with the word roar in the middle. Like, this girl's going to come out roaring. Stage the role you made me play the fool no i don't like you i don't, don't like, like your perfect rhyme, rhyme cow that's aurora singing her own version of a taylor swift song and through all face ah dear dear drama Aurora's almost five now. She loves to read, and she's starting to spell out words. She wears bright colors. Serena works hard to give Aurora the childhood she never had. But it's not going to be easy. Having separated parents and just being raised by her mom means Aurora already has an ACE score of one. And money is an issue. 
While Sabrina finishes school, they live on food stamps and Sabrina's disability check. Because of her past, Sabrina's constantly trying to strengthen her parenting skills. She does that now through a weekly therapy session at Youth for Change. And it looks different than you'd expect. Therapist and clients aren't even in the same room. Instead, mother and daughter play in one room, while therapist Lori Taylor observes from another. She watches them through a two-way mirror and talks into a mic that goes straight to an earbud Sabrina's wearing. Hi, Mom. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. This is called parent-child interaction therapy. The goal is to help parents and their kids communicate better. Um, I don't think you've done the two rules yet, right? No. Okay, so um, you're going to let Aurora remind her, say, remember, Aurora, there's two rules for special playtime. Remember, Aurora, there's two rules for special playtime. All Aurora hears is her mom's voice. The first rule is play gently with the toys. First rule is play gently with the toys. The second rule is play gently with each other. And the second rule is to play gently with each other. It's like Aurora is playing with a super together mom who always knows the right thing to say. You're doing a great job of following the rules. You're right. That is another pony. It's great. I'm so glad I get to be here to play with you. Okay. You're fun to play with. Uh Uh-huh. Sabrina and Aurora start playing doctor with a plastic stethoscope and colorful band-aids. There's a brown stuffed bear on the table. Therapist Lori explains why. Okay, so I put that in there this today because, you know, she's been having problems at the doctor's office. Lori pushes Sabrina to acknowledge her daughter's fears about going to the doctor. So talk a lot about Mr. Bear's feeling scared, and we're going to try to help him calm down, breathe with him. Okay. Sabrina and Aurora pretend to give Mr. Bear shots, and then Aurora says she'll be the patient. I would love to take care of you. Thank you for letting me be the doctor. Here, I'm going to sit right, right here. Okay, just you're sitting make, on that chair. Just make sure you're getting your shot, okay? Four okay. Shots. One on my arm, one on my legs, okay? I know next time we go to the doctor's office, you're going to be able to keep your body calm because see how calm you're being right now and you just got four shots. This kind of therapy is just one tool that helps families who've seen trauma. Part of the problem with helping people who've experienced trauma is finding them. Let's look at Sabrina's town of Paradise in Butte County. When you drive in, there's a sign that reads, May you find paradise to be all its name implies. It's been that for her, but it isn't for many other people. Surveys show Butte County has the highest percentage of residents in the state with an ACE score of four or more. 30% of them. That's about double the rate for all Californians. There are different theories why this is. Lack of jobs in Butte or the wave of meth that swept through the county in the 90s. Whatever the cause, that's a lot of childhood trauma. But what if everyone in this county got screened for ACEs when they walked into the doctor's office? I understand ACEs. I understand trauma. Matt Redham is a social worker who lives and works here in Butte County. He likes the attention childhood trauma has gotten in recent years, but he's skeptical whether it will really make a difference. All this lovely interest will go away, but trauma will not. It is a fundamental reality of human nature. 
and I'm terrified that nothing will change. Some doctors already screen for ACEs, like pediatrician Nadine Burke-Harris in San Francisco. But Matt Redham says it has to reach beyond the champions of this cause. This has to be a routine part of medicine. It's common as asking about food allergies or testing a kid's hearing. Sabrina Haynes says knowing her high ACE score has helped her cope with the trauma of her childhood. You know, like I said before, I've had a score of eight, and that's huge, but here I am still, and, you know, I'm doing it. I'm making it work. I can look at those experiences and say they're experiences that I had. It's not who I am. I know who I am as a person now. Now I look at life as something amazing and beautiful and all the things that you can get out of life. She loves school. She's finished two associate's degrees and is on track to get a bachelor's in child development next year. She'd like to get a master's, too. She's found a supportive community at her dance studio with a group of women who encourage each other to push their boundaries, perform, try new things, strengthen their bodies. And she's been volunteering as a teacher at Youth for Change. She works once a week in a classroom with toddlers and their parents. This month's theme is animals. So um, after they work on the sound, then we're going to do an animal activity. Um, The real focus is social and emotional growth and strengthening the relationship between parents and their children. Yep, put it right here. Good job. There you go. Today, there are five pairs of moms and kids. They're cutting out pictures and pasting them under matching words. Sabrina switches between leading the class and helping Aurora. Does it look like that? No. Does it look like a mat? Yeah. Yeah. So you want to glue it with the mat? At the end, she gives the other moms more activities for later. Yeah. If you want to work with them at home, this is like good opportunity for you just kind of, you know, spend that quality time with your kids. And she practices what she preaches. Spending quality time with Aurora is a huge priority for her. I wanted to just be there for her and show her what I didn't get as a child. Sabrina's forgiven her mother for the neglect and pain she went through. She discovered her mom had an awful childhood, too. These days, they're closer than ever. Her mom's cancer, now stage four, is hard to think about. But Sabrina has more tools to cope, a family of her own, and new goals and dreams to keep her strong. Someday, Sabrina Haynes wants to run a preschool. That's why she volunteers here at Youth for Change. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. Sabrina reads the children's book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. The kids listen, some of them snuggling closer to their moms for comfort when they're afraid. We're not scared. Uh-oh. A cave. A narrow, gloomy cave. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no. We've got to go through it. Tiptoe. Tiptoe. I'm Laura Clivens, and you've been listening to a special edition of the California Report magazine, a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. 
If you missed any of today's show, you can hear the entire story on our podcast, The California Report Magazine. Look for the bear with the earbuds. If you're curious about your own ACE score, you can find a quiz at californiareport.org, along with information about interventions and support communities. This story was produced as a project for the USC Center for Health Journalism's California Fellowship. The director of our show is Susie Racho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, with additional engineering from Katie McMurrin and Rob Spate. Our senior editor is Victoria Malleon. This week's editor is Carrie Feibel. David Marks is our online producer. Our team includes Ethan Lindsay and Holly Kernan. I'm Laura Clivens. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty. More at Irvine.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.